Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. An Elio's original. And welcome to Web Crawlers. This is one of our mini episodes. It's a shorter version of our main episode where we talk about all things weird, unusual news stories, read listener emails, and play voicemails. Uh, last week, what the fuck's so funny, Maria? Just the and play voicemail. That's what we do. This is what we do. <laughs> I know. We play we and we and play voicemails here. That's funny. And sometimes yeah. we and read emails. Last week, we had Maria's boyfriend, Craig, on the pod, and he was telling us about, like, this crazy house that he saw in Chicago one night, like, in a graveyard, and then, like, the house disappeared, and then he researched it later, and it turned out, like, the house doesn't exist, and other people have seen this crazy ghost house, Mm -hmm. and we got a lot of follow-up emails on that, which led us to thinking, like, what the fuck are ghosts and ghost houses and... What's that all about? And also, like, Chicago has a crazy, spooky history. So we have a friend of John Tenney on today. He is president of the Ghost Research Society. He's written several books, such as Windy City Ghosts, Windy City Ghosts 2, A Field Guide to Spirit Photography, Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques, Field Guide to Haunted Highways and Bridges. His LinkedIn says, my goal, my goal is to prove the existence of ghosts and thereby the existence of life after death through scientific experiments and investigations using the latest in high-tech equipment and methodologies. His specialties, he says, are spirit photography and analysis, ghost hunting techniques, and EVP sessions. Wow. It says he has investigated more than 4,100 cases since 1975. Wow. Wow. This also says he investigates reports of hauntings and ghosts primarily in the Midwest, but also throughout the United States. He has devoted particular attention to ghost lights, also known as spook lights, and is an expert on spirit photography. Ghost lights. Well, because Craig said that house had, it was like this, like orangish lights coming out of it yeah he said it was like a burning candle well we also have craig joining us today to talk to dale so he'll probably bring that up i'm sure well we already um introduced you a little bit before uh we uh started chatting with you but dale tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do well, I've been involved in uh, the Ghost Research Society and Paranormal Research since 1975. Wow. I started at uh, with a, a a number of like-minded people uh, in the uh, uh, the theater, I guess you might call it, and uh, who really wanted to get involved with uh, checking out 
mostly around the Chicagoland area at that time, uh, reports of ghosts in Chicagoland area. So I, I started a group, I co-founded a group back in 1977 called the Ghost Trackers Club. Oh. And uh, we kind of expanded from that point uh, uh, beyond the Chicago uh, confines to uh, the Midwest and then, of course, the, the United States. I've been to uh, England and Wales a couple of times as well. Wow. But in 1982, uh, I took over as the president of, uh, we changed the name at that point to Ghost Research Society, uh, which is more indicative of what we actually do, ghost research. From that point forward, uh, we began producing a newsletter wow. that ran from, uh, called the Ghost Trackers newsletter that ran from uh, 1982 to 2001. And about that time, I began a more serious writing. I wrote uh, uh, six books on the subject since that time. Doing a lot of uh, research, uh, not only here in Chicagoland area, but all across the country. Uh, we do an average of about 25 to 30 investigations a year. Uh, and that's usually just wow. during the summer wow. months. So it's, uh, we're very, very active, um, traveling across the country. Uh, we have a, uh, we have our first trip actually and getting out of the coronavirus lockdown here. <laughs> we're actually going to be doing something on June the 4th. We're going to be traveling down to a Stones River Battlefield in Middle Tennessee, Murfreesboro, and actually meeting with a police officer that had a paranormal encounter. Uh, episode was actually uh, broadcast on a show called uh, Paranormal Emergency. Oh, wow. So we have a chance to meet with a Rutherford County Sheriff's Police Department officer and hopefully investigate that location at night, which will be really kind of cool. Uh, we're also going to be doing the, uh, the next day after that, uh, Old South Pittsburgh Hospital, which is in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Then on Saturday, uh, we're going to be doing Brushy Mountain Prison. So we have three things going on that weekend, and I'm really excited about that. Dale, man, geez, that's pretty impressive. I think we're going to be emailing a lot in the future. <laughs> well, I'm going to be doing a lot, a lot of <laughs> yeah, live Facebook sure. videos from, from our investigations, both during the day and at night, kind of joining down there with another group called Crawford County, Illinois Ghost Hunter Society. And either between myself or them, we're going to be doing a lot of live Facebook videos down there uh, when we're actually investigating. So informing the uh, paranormal community via social media that we're going to be doing that and just kind of tune in. Boy, that's awesome. Wow. What's your Facebook if people want to tune into that? Basically, they can just go to my timeline, basically. Uh, just just find me on uh, uh, Facebook under just my name, Dale Kazmarek. Or they can just search my uh, for Ghost Research Society, which I also have a page there. But I will be doing some via Crawford County, Illinois Ghost Hunters Society. So they can just Google that. Uh, I mean, I just search for that, I guess you would say, in, in Facebook. And it pops right up. Okay, cool. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah, because I know that our listeners would want to see that. Now, uh, Craig here told a story the other day to us about... A uh, house that he saw in Chicago that like disappeared or something before his eyes. We would love to get your insight on it. It's kind of like a ghost house. Yeah, it's the um, I'm uh, um, it's the only paranormal experience I've had. I grew up in the in the Chicagoland area. I was uh, born in Libertyville, and I grew up in Mundelein. So I'm sure you're familiar with that area. Mm-hmm. Um, this was uh, this is I'm sure you know this. Of course, it's uh, it was at a uh, White Cemetery. Uh, in on Cuba Road in Barrington, mm-hmm. um, that's where like my friends and I. It was, I guess, it was the early '90s. We went there. I, you know, you had just heard the rumors. Of, you know, it was like the cool place to go when you're a teenager. And we pulled into the road next to the cemetery, and I looked out the window and I saw. I mean, it's the. I, I, you know, I want to just not even believe it was real, but I absolutely saw like an old. It wasn't a farmhouse, but like an old house, you know, with all the windows in front. And every sin- single window was glowing like a reddish orange. And the second I turned away and then turned back, it was gone. I forgot about this for years until I until maybe about a year ago when I was like looking up ghosts and haunting haunted places in Illinois. That's where I read you know one of these books or whatever. That's where I read about other people having seen. A disappearing house behind that cemetery. Well, White Cemetery is a very uh, interesting location. It's actually written about in my book called Windy City Ghost. Was the first book that I produced. Ooh. And um, there, it, it's for many that are familiar with the South Side and Bachelors Grove Cemetery. Perhaps is probably the 
a more oh, yeah. famous ghost story, but I, I, I've always called uh, White Cemetery the Bachelor's Grove of the of the North Side because literally there are just numerous uh-huh. tales that have taken place over the years. Uh, this report of this this phantom house is, is interesting because Bachelor's Grove has a phantom house that people have seen throughout the years. Wow! Now, this house in in, um, wow. in right around White Cemetery. Uh, my understanding is it's actually seen just a little bit further west on what's called, used to be called Rainbow Road, uh, which is right next to the cemetery, generally speaking. And the idea behind this. Yeah, th- yeah, this was, this was, ne- yeah, this was next to it. And there were, it, it, it was like, um, there were, there's horse property around there. Cause one of the funny things is when we pulled in next to it, our headlights came on like five horses that were standing there and it scared the hell out of us. Oh my God. And yeah. And then like, like it was like two minutes later when I saw that house looking out the left window, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go now, on. Many people have actually seen this house actually. And uh, my understanding of, of the, the story of concerning the house is that there was an actual house back there at one time, oh. um, you know, an actual family residence or a farm of some kind. And the house actually burned to the ground. Oh, so people that have yeah, seen this crazy. house actually see the house as though it's in flames sometimes, uh, which kind of corresponds crazy. very generally speaking to what you encountered. Or in other cases, people will just simply see the house uh, and then kind of see like waves of heat coming off uh, as you would if Whoa. there was an intense mm. flame nearby. So it's kind of re- what you might call a residual effect of an inanimate object which is really kind of unique. Yeah, wow. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I, clear as day, I can see it. I, it like if I was, you know, I, it was so quick that it was hard to say flames. I mean, in my mind, you know, obviously this is in the 90s. So this is, I'm just remembering back. But it looked like uh, every, it looked like every window in the house had an orange, orangish red drape and every one of them was glowing. I mean, exactly what you would think when you think of a house on fire, but the fire was not at the windows. It was like inside the house, exactly. you know? Wow. And that's what people, and that's what people have actually seen. And, and, and very often when they see it, it's only a fleeting glimpse. I mean, it's only a couple seconds sometimes. Yeah. Yep. 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 Wow. Yep. This was, I, I saw it and then I turned, it was, it was four of us in the car. I was looking, I guess it was the left side of the car. I was looking out the window and I saw, and, and I just yelled. I was like, I, I, I yelled because my friend was driving uh, probably just, he was like creeping and I go, I go, wait. And then I look back out and point and nothing's there then, of course. So everyone just laughs at me <laughs> and I, but the, the, it's the, just the craziest thing because I had not read anything about the hauntings there beyond just, you know, oh, this is spooky. You know, like the, the urban legends about the cemetery. That's I, I had, I did know a story about like a phantom car pulling up in front of the cemetery and then disappearing. I have heard that. I did hit, I had have heard have, whatever. <laughs> That story <laughs> had have heard that. Story. Well, see, this is very, very similar to the to the report that, is, as I mentioned, at Bachelors Grove Cemetery, because people have seen a a white farmhouse down the trail uh, with white wooden pillars, a, a light, a, a porch swing, and even a light burning dimly in one window. But the unusual thing, yeah. as you begin to walk towards what you think is a, just a little farmhouse uh, in, the, in the distance, the house appears to get smaller and smaller and shrinks away, and it's wow. completely gone. Wow. Now, there's always been this urban legend that if you are unfortunate enough to be on the front porch when this house disappears, well, you disappear with it. Oh, no. Uh, so we, don't no. <laughs> we don't know how many people have actually disappeared. But it's, again, very similar. The house just is just there for a few seconds, and then it's gone. Wow. It's so crazy. And, to, and, to, and ha- like just looking that up, decades later and then finding out oh yeah disappearing house is part of the lore it's like well i mean how how can i you came that came and be denied like i i didn't know about that and then you, you read about it 20 years later it's just crazy yeah i mean there is there's a lot of lot of stuff going out on in, in white cemetery it's, it's one of the oldest cemeteries in that area i believe it was started back in 1820 uh even yeah. even actually before bachelor's grove which is about 18 no, actually beginning in the 1830s, but the actual deed about 1864. So this is a very, very old cemetery. There have been reports of uh, you know, kind of like a lot of, you know, initially what I heard was a lot of urban legends. You know, I heard that the, the gravestones move right. around by themselves. Uh, and it's similar again to the stories about Bachelors Grove with the gravestones moving around by themselves. But we think what's happening in that case is that, you know, 
you know, maybe, maybe some overzealous teenagers are out there in the middle of the night and they're kind of right, know, just picking yeah. up the tombstones and carting them around and dropping them and they seem to move by themselves. There's even a report yeah, that was yeah. actually started by a Palatine school teacher a number of years ago, decades ago, actually, that talks about that this is the graves, a graveyard of where the famous um, Mary Worth is buried. Uh, you've probably heard these stories where you walk into a closet, you take a, a mirror in there, and you say in the, in the dark in, in the closet facing the mirror, I believe in Mary Worth so many times, and then suddenly her face will appear in the mirror, and sometimes they even come out and scratch you. Uh, of course, if you get four or five people in, in a little cl- tiny closet, especially uh, you know, you know people that are very, very scared, they might be clawing their way to get out, and that's how you get clawed, really, basically. <laughs> uh, the course of this Mary Worth is probably just another urban legend. You know, when I was growing up, that legend is the same legend, but what we what you said in the mirror was Bloody Mary, Bloody right. Mary, Bloody yeah. Mary. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's where that yeah, there's variations in that thing. story. Uh, it's a very famous uh, story. I, I've got several books on on, on American folklore uh, written by a, a guy a guy named uh, Brunveld, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, urban legends and so forth, and you talk about cemetery ladies and hitchhiking ghosts and mm-hmm. all different types uh-huh. of pretty strange stuff. And you find that in there, that story, the, that rendition, kind of uh, told over and over again. Right. Yeah. Um, question for you. What is it, do you think, what is it about like the Chicago area? Is it the, the age of it or, and the amount of people that were there or what, like what, 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 why are there so many paranormal sightings and hauntings in the Northern Illinois area? Well, generally speaking, any large metropolitan area really has their share of ghost stories. I mean, you go to New York city, you go to Los Angeles, you go to Mexico city, uh, London, mm-hmm. uh, you name them, basically large metropolitan areas tend to have a lot of ghost stories. But again, you have to go back to the history of these these uh, these locations. And in, in many cases, there are untimely deaths that occur. Uh, there mm-hmm. can be a lot of violence that have been perpetrated by people on people uh, throughout the years mm-hmm. and throughout the centuries. And I think violence actually leads to you know, ghost stories because uh, people, again, uh, if you it's been my, my experience through my research that um, you know violent and untimely death often leads to ghosts because they don't realize that they have passed on. Mm. Right. Yeah. And Chicago has had a very rich history of that going yeah. all the way back to uh, before it was actually even Chicago during the Fort Dearborn Massacre during the War of 1812 and all the way up to present uh-huh. day with drive-by shootings and so forth. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 un- it's unfortunate that so many of these large metropolitan areas and even smaller communities and hamlets, you know, they also have their share of violence and untimely death. And that's where I believe the vast majority of these ghost stories or uh, come from their, their origins come directly from these reports of murders, suicides, drive-by shootings, drownings, car crashes, plane crashes, train wrecks. Maybe you weren't supposed to leave the earth when you did, but suddenly you're there and then you're not there. Just like in the movie Ghost yeah. Patrick Swayze, if you remember that story, yeah. he was walking down the street. Yeah, uh, he just uh, he was you know accosted by somebody who was trying to steal his wallet. There was a struggle. He chased after the guy. He came back and he saw his dead body being held by his fiance. He didn't even realize he had passed on. And then story with Bruce yeah. Willis and Sixth Sense, uh, Nicole yeah. Kidman and the others. I mean, these are Hollywood renditions, but Hollywood has really done a really nice job in recent years portraying. Uh, how ghosts become ghosts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have some questions about since your ghost hunting um, techniques, what for those of our listeners who don't really know, what is an EVP session or spirit photography? What are those, what are those tools? Well, basically when we investigate locations, uh, what we're trying to do is to document one way or the other, if there's something there. Uh, the first thing we will obviously do is we'll research an area before we leave, try to get relevant information, try to, uh, you know, the Internet is a very good place to find a lot of this information as well. Uh, you can talk to people once you get there uh, that may be guys that have had experiences or if, if you're into a private home or a business, I mean, the people that are actually living there. Uh, and then what we try to do is then try to document what's, what's there uh, through uh, what you call electronic voice phenomenon sessions, EVP. Uh, or uh, spirit photography, or setting up cameras and equipment. Um, what we're trying to do is, if there's something there, 
find out who it is, why they're still there, and hold some some, some sort of communication with them. And um, if you remember, you know, you know, I remember this is going back when I was first starting out. Uh, you know, when I first started out, I mean, there was no equipment like we have today. I mean, I started out with a 35 millimeter camera, a, a set tape recorder, and my EMF <laughs> meter was a compass. <laughs> so that tells you basically what it was back then. I mean, it's really refreshing to use the equipment that we have nowadays. But, uh, you know, the whole idea that, you know, when you started EVP sessions back then, and even some people do this today, you know, you might ask a question, you leave some blank space. That's for the response. And you, you ask another question, so forth and so on. But to me, that's not that's like a one-sided communication. Uh, so what, what we like to have is a conversation. So there's a lot of what we call real-time devices that we do use, like the ghost box, uh, like the mini boxes, um, like the Phasma box, which is an application, which is an absolutely amazing application that we've used in the past. And, um, you know, other devices like the Obelis and, and, um, you know, mini portals and geo ports and all these different devices that when you ask a question, then you get a response in real time that you can then build upon and hold a conversation. So you don't have to wow. then go back to wherever you came from and be a week later and review your EVP sessions and say, oh, wait, I got a great response there, but now I'm 600 yeah, miles yeah. away. Right. Or with, yeah, with photography and all that. Plushcare.com/slash/weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Can I steer it a different direction really quick? Sure. Just because I have a Chicago yeah, sure, ghost expert on, so I want to like, you know, hit you <laughs> All right. So another thing, another, you know, about obvious, I don't have to ask if you know this because you do. Another thing when I was, you know, when I was 15, 16, I get my license. It's just all about going to the cool places around Chicago. Sure. That's all me and my friends did. So there, there, was a, there was a place called, that we referred to as the gate in unincorporated Libertyville, just north, like between Libertyville and Gurney. Um, you, you're familiar with that. I guess now it's now apparently I've looked it up online. People refer to it as Devil's Gate. But when in in the late 80s, 90s, it was just the gate. Are you familiar with that? Oh, absolutely. It, it's <laughs> another interesting. Uh, it, it most likely is an urban legend. I mean, there is some mm-hmm. some uh, truth to some of the story. Uh, initially, it was thought to have been some sort of boys' school uh, out there at one time. Um, some even mm-hmm. say an orphanage, <clears throat> depending, again, which story you listen mm-hmm. to. And the right. idea that uh, somewhere along the line, uh, some psycho or in so- some crazy guy you know, got in there and began killing uh, 
children uh, beheading them oh, God. and then placing their heads on this on the post of the gate, kind of like you know, like yeah. shish kebabing them, so to speak. Jesus. And they would just kind of line the gates. Well, obviously, any type of a story that was that gruesome uh, would have been in some new p- newspaper somewhere. Right. And I have searched right. and searched and searched, and I cannot find any story uh, relating to that. Now, for the longest time, that place was simply off limits. Um, for many, many decades, yep. uh, it was closed up. Um, they didn't really have no trespassing signs, but it was just, you know, you just didn't really trespass. It was kind of weed overgrown. You could actually see some of the, uh, the foundations of the structures. There was actually a foundation of a swimming pool that was actually filled in. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah. We went back there. We went back there a couple of times. Now, now it's actually open. You can actually go back there. I believe it's actually part of a, uh, I don't, remember right offhand what they call it but there's there's a it's a forest preserve name or something yeah. like that they call that yeah it was actually and you can actually go back there so we're going to be doing that sometime this year Ooh. uh we're going to be doing a road trip out there to a lot of the uh, north side locations oh that's awesome and hopefully be able to do some uh, investigations out there as well yeah yeah um we used to go like it's such a shame because back in the late 80s early 90s the gate was straight out of a horror movie it was <laughs> It, it was like a, it's a 10 foot wrought iron spiked gate uh, that was just in the middle of overgrown trees and grass. Like it was, it was, and I went back maybe like three or four years ago. And like you said, it's just all cleaned up. It's park district now. And, but back then we would like, you could slowly force the gate open and walk back uh, there. And I think on our, on our most bold, we got maybe 50 feet back there and then turned around, you know, right. but, um, uh, I don't know if you've done a lot of research, obviously, but probably five or six years ago, I contacted a historian at Cook uh, Memorial Library in Libertyville, and she sent me a PDF of like 15 years of investigation on the history of the gate and the school camp, everything that was back there. So I should email yeah, you that if you don't have it. That actually, <clears throat> tell you the truth. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, I'll, no, yeah, I, it's, it's mind Craig's blowing. Craig's joining it, the research society. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, this is, believe it or not, this is the way I get a lot of information because, you know, when I'm doing presentations or workshops or conferences or, or ghost tours that I run, I mean, people come up to me all the time. Well, have you heard about this story? Have you heard about right, this story? Yeah. Well, I got some information or I got an interesting photograph. And, you know, this is where I, I, I get a lot of my information from. Uh, but yeah. anything on the on the gate that you have, I would I would greatly appreciate. Absolutely. Yeah. After this is over, I'll email it to you. The, the, I, the, I, I'm, I'm going by memory. I believe the the only murder that there was back then that they discovered was a, a, a guy m- murdered his wife and put her body. There's like a little pot like a tributary to the displays river there and he put her body there i think that was the only one they found but this goes back to where like you said it, it was a camp and then it was owned by like the catholic archdiocese of chicago and it was used as sort of a reform school there, it, it was like i think four or five different things and there's pictures from like the early 1900s of the place like oh, the indoor wow. pool and everything which was quite a big deal in the in the early 1900s but yeah anyway i'll send that to you when well, we're that's done interesting here. that you mentioned something about the des plains river because in my opinion the des plains river is probably the most haunted river or tributary we have in in the state here uh there wow. have been so many reports of activity and unfortunately uh bodies being dumped if you remember john wayne gacy uh, he actually oh yeah four bodies over the uh uh into the des plains river off off of uh, one of the interstates there uh, that actually yep. the last four, uh, last three or four victims, uh, the, um, the Grime sisters murders that happened back in 1957 along German Church Road, their bodies were found very close to a tributary of the Death Plains River called Devil's Creek. Oh, so shit. there's so many wow. running water connections in Chicago. And I really believe that ghosts are attracted to running water because of the energy given off by oh. the running water. They can somehow, in my opinion, harness that flow of natural energy to manifest. That makes sense. Man, I, I can't even tell you how excited <laughs> I am. This is great. <laughs> this is great. Like, I mean, it sounds horrible, but I mean, it is horrible. But my oldest memory, it is, it is. I, my oldest memory, like what's burned into my head, I mean, it's really terrible. But in 1978, when Gacy was arrested, you know, back then, parents didn't monitor what their kids watched. 
I sat in front of the TV for like four days as they pulled the bodies out from under oh his house. Oh my god! I was I was five years old. I, that that's my earliest memory is oh watching god. the Gacy thing go down. Yeah, like it's sick. Like it's really like it's sick. Like I, my whole life, that was just like the and then you know when that started to die down. Right, when he, I think he was executed in ninety four. That was right around the time that Jeffrey Dahmer happened. Jeez. So it was like all, all this serious, like crazy serial killer stuff. It, it was anyway, but yeah, well, the, there was, the Gacy there was, thing is just there was a number of un- unfortunately uh, uh, serial killers that happened during the nineteen fifties. Now I grew up during the nineteen fifties wow. and. You know, it, it was usually pretty safe to, to wander around the streets even after dark, but you can't do that nowadays because you get snatched up. But I mean, I, not only do you have the, the, the Grind Sisters in 1957, three a couple of years earlier, they have the Schuster Peterson boy murders. I don't uh, know this. That was a triple murder that took place that, that took 38 years to solve. Wow. Uh, even a wow. year before that, you had Judith May Anderson body, who was actually found. Her body was found floating in Montrose Harbor in two 55-gallon drums. Her head, huh. her arms, and her legs in one and her torso in the other. Uh, she apparently shit. was shot and she was dismembered. Uh, so that was a lot of very strange, weird, um, some people even almost said maybe ritualistic killings that God. took place in Chicago about that time. And... I mean, even though it wasn't the norm, I mean, there were some very strange murders that took place, and it it, did seem to prey on uh, children a lot. Yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, obviously, we mentioned last time um, H.H. Holmes, of course. Yeah. Then you go go up north to Wisconsin again, and Ed Gein, who's one of the most famous, like— like it's crazy it's, it, that whole area there just just one after another and they weren't small killings i mean gacy and hh H. holmes that's like over a hundred victims right there two people yeah. that's then, insane and then Dahmer was another 15 or whatever then, he did then you add richard speck who killed eight richard speck yeah. here in chicago yep. Jeez. yeah that's what i mean by why and you asked this question earlier is why chicago is so haunted I mean, just look at the, the murders, look at the untimely deaths, look at the, the way people have died. Sometimes, you know, um, sometimes it's just accidental. You, you, you maybe left the earth when you didn't, weren't supposed to, maybe before your time. And that's why yeah. you have so many of these, what I call residual hauntings. People are seen at the site of where they died over mm-hmm. and over again, whether it be in a home, a hospital, uh, along the stretch of road, maybe they drowned. Uh, and yeah. They just continue to show up because they just don't realize that they have passed on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had mentioned uh, last podcast, I was telling them, I don't know, you know, I'm, I don't know, like deep details, but the Iroquois Theater fire. Right. I mean, 600 people burned to death. The, right. um, the boat, that boat that capsized, I forget the, the name Eastland? of it. Eastland. Eastland, yes. The Eastland boat. I mean... It's hundreds upon hundreds of deaths, like like just tragic, unexpected deaths. Eight hundred and forty-four people is the is still considered the worst disaster in Chicago history. But then you just add. I, I actually have a tour that I do called the Tragic Events Tour, where I take people all to tragedies around Chicago, and the Iroquois Theater fire in nineteen oh three that killed six hundred and twenty people. The, the Eastland in nineteen fifteen that killed eight hundred and forty-four. Uh, the Great Chicago oh. Fire mm-hmm. that killed well over 300 people. The Fort Dearborn Massacre uh, during the War of 1812, uh, very close to what today is about 16th in Indiana on the um, in Chicago. Huh. Even the location where uh, they they brought the bodies from the uh, uh, the uh, disaster of the Eastland, which was the Second Regiment Armory, which later became uh-huh. the studio of Harpo Studios. Where the Oprah, show, oh, wow. Oprah Winfrey show was 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 uh, uh, shown for a while. Um, you wow. have the gang wars of the 1920s and 1930s, where people were being gunned down. St. Valentine's Day massacre, where uh, seven members of the Bugs Moran gang were shot down in 1929. You have the shooting of John Dillinger in Chicago, right in front of the Biograph yep. Theater. Uh, how about Flight 191 that that, that just went down uh, just oh, yeah. uh, a few days ago? Actually, May 25th, 1979, the worst uh, uh, commercial airline disaster in American history. 279 passengers were killed instantly. Jeez. Oh, the engine fell off and it crashed just short of a trailer court uh, about 4,600 feet off the runway. 
Uh, so yeah, we've been out there many times, not to the actual crash site. I actually was the very first investigator. I'm not to ring ring my bell or anything. <laughs> it's on a flagpole. Flag ring flag. that bell. But in 19, yeah, ring but it. In 1979, I was the very first investigator to actually set foot on the ground where the where the airline disaster went down. Wow. And, uh, at that wow. point, all you really saw at that point was uh, uh, big mounds of dirt that they were trying to bulldoze up, trying to find any type of human oh, remains, uh, perhaps uh, you know watches, keys, anything that would give yeah. families some closure. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't walled off. It wasn't fenced off. I don't trespass. That's my biggest thing. I don't go anywhere when I'm not wanted. Yeah. We've been out there since that time. Because right now the area is, is kind of cordoned off. It's a part of a canine training facility and you're able to get up to, you know, pretty close, maybe about 200 feet, 150 feet from where the airline went down. And we have gotten some really, really incredible, I mean, got goosebumps just talking about it literally EVPs that we've got out there that when we asked for what the flight number was it actually said 191 wow uh, when we asked what airline Jeez. it was it said american when we said who's flying the plane it said captain lutz oh I god mean, it's got oh, wow. some really amazing stuff that you can find on my website by the way at ghostresearch.org if i haven't already mentioned that all my all our investigations are at least the a lot of them are public investigations are on there. We were really hoping to get directly on the actual site because the plane went down at 3.05 p.m. Uh, I've tried to contact the canine facility several times, and they say, well, it's, it's, it's really kind of reserved for family members. But you know, many years ago, uh, I went to a site not too far from there. It's a memorial wall. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they have bricks for every single person who died on the, wow. on the disaster. And I went out there with my uh, with my with my uh, cell phone one day, and I just kind of did a slow pan, and I did the entire uh, like a video to put up on the website as a memorial to people. Uh, and I went mm-hmm. on my YouTube page, and I got so many thousands and thousands of hits. And then people actually said, "Oh well, thank you so much for that. My father died on there, and my aunt died on there." And they began sending me pictures of stewardess who died on there wow. that they knew. Oh. So I'm thinking if I can get enough of those people together that say that it's okay for me to go up there and maybe they'd like to, you know, tag along with us because who knows right. what kind of responses we've gotten. Th- let me tell you one quick story if I could. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people know this story. It's actually in my book on Windy City Ghost. Uh, there were a number of uh, uh, Playboy uh, uh, associates and uh, um, I guess you'd call it the Playboy employees who were on there, mm-hmm. uh, Sheldon Wax and his wife, Judith Wax. And uh, Judith Wax uh, was an author. She had just uh, wrote a book called Starting in the Middle about middle-aged life. I got a copy of that book. And it's really, really scary. When you go to page 191, which is the same as the flight number. No. And she discusses her intense fear of flying on airplanes. What? Wow. That is crazy. It is crazy. And it's, I don't make this up. I mean, I, if you want, I can after the show send you a copy of the page so you can read it for yourself. It just, Dude, I'm buying the book after the show. What are you says, kidding? It says something to the effect that when my travel, uh, when my, my business required me to travel, I, I, I would, when I would get on airplanes, I would tremble from head to toe until the flight was over. So she's oh. saying about her intense fear of flying in airplanes on oh. page 191, which is the same as the flight number. Now, if that isn't just crazy. That is. Holy yeah, that, that's moly. like, you know, yeah. When you hear about stuff like that, I'm sorry, but people are like, oh, well, you know, things just have. There's coincidences that you just, yeah. they're too big. You can't just turn your head and go, oh, well, that's not a big deal. That's a pretty that's big deal. That's crazy. That's scary. <laughs> just, some of, just, just some of the craziness that's in my book on Windy City Ghost 1 and 2. You have two books? I have six books, actually. I have, <laughs> um, I have Windy City Ghost 1 and 2. I have a field guide to spirit photography, a field guide to ghost hunting techniques, a field guide to haunted highways and bridges, which is my latest book, and I also have one called Illuminating wow. the Darkness, the Mystery of Spook Lights. What, okay, yes. Shit, so what I'm is in. that? What are ghost lights? Because we've talked about that a little bit. What, what is that? Orbs. Ghost lights, oh. again, uh, if you go to what folklore tells you, okay, yeah. folklore will tell you that spook lights are often caused by when somebody loses their head, 
in some sort of bizarre accident, usually a decapitation of some kind. And that what you're seeing out there is the spirit coming back with a lantern looking for their head. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, Craig, is that what you thought it was? <laughs> Orbs. <laughs> lost your head and you're going back with a lantern looking for your head. Aren't you going to have a hard time finding it? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the uh, hat box ghost in, in the haunted mansion. Okay. So that's, that's the folklore behind it. But what I really, what we really, we, we believe me, me and other researchers believe that's uh, when you see a ghost let at a location where again, an untimely death may have occurred. And I can give you many examples of this, the, the Mako light in North Carolina. I was out there and I investigated that light. Uh, unfortunately, the train tracks are no longer there, but I was actually to find some actual tra- railroad spikes from the actual uh, train tracks that used to go through there. On the train at one time was the, was the president of the United States, uh, uh, Grover Cleveland, uh-huh. memory serves me correctly. And uh, he was at the back end, and he looked out, and he says to one of his, one of his uh, you know, aides, he goes, what is that light on the train tracks? Is that another train? He goes, oh, no, that's, that's Joe Baldwin. That's Joe Baldwin's light. He, lost, he was the conductor, and he lost his head. So, I mean, even a president of the United States apparently had seen oh, this light. Wow. People all across the world have seen these spook lights. Now, we believe spook lights, again, are a manifestation of a spirit that doesn't appear as we do in a physical form, like in a, a, a recognizable human form, but it appears simply as a ball of light. And they've been seen all across the country. You may have heard some of them, the Marfa lights in Texas. I was about to ask about the Marfa lights. I've never been there yet. It's a very famous stretch in, in Marfa out there in the desert. I've been out to see the Joplin spook light, which is called the Tri-State spook light, uh, the Brown Mountain lights. Uh, there's actually uh, uh, the Mako light. There's one in down in Gurdon, Arkansas, uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, Waters Meet, Michigan. There's actually a couple here in Illinois, one down in Watsika, down south, and there's also wow. one here in Chicago, an area called the Maple Lake Ghost Light. Mm. I don't know how I missed this the spook light. I, I only had heard about orbs. Yeah, orbs are orbs are, orbs are a little bit different. Um, orbs, you know, generally speaking, when people photograph orbs, and I'm not a big big fan of orbs because because when people photograph orbs, there's there's so many possible natural explanations for what orbs could be. Sure, including from dust particles to insects to water droplets to digital flaws. Um, if, if somebody actually sees an orb with their naked eye and it's moving around and in some cases actually is self-illuminating, uh, actually has a light that actually in some cases will actually illuminate an area, that's something different. Okay. And I've actually sure, had people yeah. that told me they've experienced that and videotaped it. We actually have a couple of lights that we photograph and videotape that actually have done that same thing. They actually twinkle. And how can a dust particle wow. twinkle? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I have one more question before we wrap it up. John Tenney had once said, who I think we know in common, that if you put like a cassette recorder or maybe your phone, your phone's like voice recorder under your pillow at night, that perhaps if you want to do like your own EVP recording, you could potentially like pick up something in your room or something like that at night. If you want to do your own EV rep- uh, EVP recording, is that something you could do, or like how to, how would how would that work if you wanted to do ghost hunting on like a very individual level? Well, first of all, I probably wouldn't put it on either pillow because you'd probably catch yourself <laughs> snoring or moving around, or or the pillow, you know, just the, the pillow, the, the, you know, the pillowcase and everything would make a lot of noise. But I mean, uh, there are different ways. I mean, uh, I in the past I've actually used, and I still have a cassette tape recorders that are voice activated oh. in other words you can turn them on you push the record yep. button and they don't begin to record unless they pick up a sound or a noise right. which, is, uh, which would be something that would be an audible sound uh, now most evps uh, unfortunately are something that we don't hear at the time it's being recorded mm. uh, the digital recorders we use today are sensitive to a wide range of uh, frequencies above and beyond of what we hear. The normal hearing is between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. So if it's below that, it would be what we call infrasound. If it's above that, it's called ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So if you're putting, if the best way I, I, I would assume would be put a tape recorder uh, in a room or in a, a location that you think is, is haunted. Or if you just want to try experiment yourself somewhere 
and let it run. A lot of these recorders will run for four or 500 hours because they're just a huge amount of space on these digital recorders. And then when you go yeah. back, just listen to it with headphones, which is I always tell people you can try to get noise canceling headphones. So you kind of block off the noise uh, in, in, in the environment around you. And you're only hearing stuff coming through the recorder and see what you pick up. And you'd really be surprised. And uh, you can uh, use different uh, different programs like Audacity uh, to, uh, to pull out and pick those little clips out of there and review them. Or you can use something like Adobe Audition, mm-hmm. which is a, little, a bit more expensive, or even WavePad. There are many, many good examples on my website of both uh, uh, EVPs, uh, just regular what I call true EVPs that you didn't use any devices uh, that we didn't hear. Or actually, in some cases, what we call disembodied voices that we actually hear at the time that we're recording. And that's even, uh, I kind of call it like kind of like the Holy Grail. Right. You see something visual, that's the Holy Grail. But when you hear something and you can't explain what it is and you also record that, that's pretty interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dale. We really appreciate it. If people want to uh, go to your website, uh, where can they find you? Well, they can find me at uh, www.ghostresearch.com. Dot org, ghostresearch.org. Awesome. And they also find me on Facebook if they just Google, uh, uh, try to search me, I guess, <laughs> saying Google, search me on Facebook, uh, uh, either my name or my uh, Ghost Research Society, and you can find me quite easy on there. I'm also on Twitter, too, by the way. I don't that often get on Twitter. It's usually social media when I get on this, this Facebook. Okay, awesome. Great. And Dale, for, for our followers, how do, you, how do you spell your last name just so they, they uh, find you correctly? Sure, it's uh, K-A-C as in Charlie, Z as in Zebra, M-A-R-E-K. Awesome. Thank you so much. Craig, did you have something to say? Dale, can I, yeah, in the next hour, I'm going to visit your website, <laughs> buy your books, and send you that thing on the gate. I appreciate that. I'm look, I'll be looking forward to seeing that. New member of the Research Society. <laughs> yep. Great yeah, talking thank to you, you so man. Thank you so much. For having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dale. Have a good day. You Bye. Too. Thank you. Bye. Boy, how awesome cool. is that? Wow, what a cool guy. What a cool dude. Seriously, 1975 he's been doing this. Dale for the win. Dale for the win. Oh, gee, yeah, you that's got he's got to be a reoccurring guy on your yeah. show. I mean, that's screw me <laughs> the coming daily on here. Dale. You have him on all the time. The Daily Dale. <laughs> the Daily Dale. No, the Daily Ghost. The Daily Ghost. ghost. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. That's not nice. All right. Um, good. Thanks for having me on. That was great. I'm, I'm going to go send him that stuff. I'm excited that he knows about the gate because it is an obscure thing. And it was like the place we'd go, you know, we'd yeah. bring a case of beer and we'd walk back there and, and there'd be these weird foundations. It's such a bummer because you have that in your mind. And then I go back a couple of years ago and it's just like, I mean, it might, it's right out of like, like Rancho Cucamonga now. Right. It's, it sucks. It's all cleaned up with like modern brickwork. One day when the world is different, we should do a Chicago ghost tour. Yes. Oh, oh, well, knowing that he gives those tours, next time I visit, I'm going on those tours. Like, that's. We're sitting near the back, though, because then you'll (laughs) Whatever. Whatever. I like to to think that I add something to the. Oh, oh, I don't, huh? No, you do. You just ask him before you get on the bus. Well. I'm excited. I'm ex- I'm really excited because I was when I was. I mean, I was so obsessed with that gate place. Like I said, there's. Um, sorry to keep this going, but uh, Cook Memorial Library is like in this town, Libertyville. That's where I was born. I'm, just yeah. that name is crazy, Libertyville. It's right out of like Mid America. There's the the Cook Mansion. Cook was the guy who like established that Northern Illinois area in the late or early 1800s. And the mansion is still there used as a, it's like a museum and a library. And I was like, well, maybe I'll, I'll check into the, the Cook Historical Society. And I mentioned the gate and she goes, oh, I got to send you this. And she sent me, like I was telling Dale, like a 30 or 40 page PDF of all the research oh in history God. on the gate. That's so and wild. the fact that, da- yeah, the fact that I get to introduce Dale to this, that's pretty cool. <laughs> this is the greatest moment of your life. I mean, it's great. Like he, he doesn't know about. I'm like, hey, Dale, here, check this out. Maybe I want to look into this, buddy. Oh, I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. cool. <laughs> Craig, are you gonna get a tattoo that says Dale? It's just a heart that says Dale. In it. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not kidding. I, the entire time I've been sitting here smiling. This is great. <laughs> this is great. Anyway, uh, all yeah, right, ladies, thanks for having me on again, Craig. 
right, I'm giving back to Maria. <laughs> well, what a success. Give it up for Dale. Give it up for Dale. Yeah, so if you guys know anything about uh, Chicago ghosts or if there's any crazy uh, ghost stuff that happens in your city or state, um, please email us and let us know and we'll try to get an expert on from your town. <laughs> Melissa, if uh, this will just turn into a 50 states podcast, um, <laughs> ghost go state. Is that a is that a ghost. is that a TV show? Ghost states. Ghost state ghost sounds states. familiar. It does sound familiar, actually. Um, yeah. If if you want to reach us, Melissa, where can they reach us? <laughs> you can email us at webcrawlerspod at gmail dot com, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at webcrawlerspod, or Facebook or Reddit. And so, yeah. also, don't forget to protest safely and to donate to a good cause if you can. Um, some places are the George Floyd Memorial Fund, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Black Visions Collective, Campaign Zero, Unicorn Riot, and Reclaim the Block, among others. Mm-hmm. And uh, Black Lives Matter and... Uh, yeah, stay safe out there. Stay safe out there. Uh, I'm Alex Siegel. I'm Melissa Stetton. And I'm producer Maria. Bye. Bye. An Erio's original. Powered by ACAST. 